Hey, B. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question? Always. What's the one thing when we travel that we always make sure we find? Oh, coffee. You know, bad coffee makes my brain angry. And we've been a lot of places. We've had a lot of coffee. But when we're home, there's only one place that we get coffee from. Yeah. Hacienda Real in Costa Rica. We found this place when we were in Costa Rica a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's a micro roastery using only Costa Rican beans. Their blend is a mix of Arabica and Peaberry. And if you don't know about Peaberry, you need to find out about it because mm. it is amazing. It takes all the bitterness out. All the bitterness out. And we place orders and it's shipped directly to our door. You can get light, medium, or dark roast. You can get ground. You can get whole bean. And it is roasted to order. So there is a date stamped on your coffee so you know when it was roasted and bagged. It's good for a year after you order it. And it is the best coffee that we have ever had. So click the link in our show notes or go to goldenbean.net and use the offer code COFCHR20 for 10% off your order. Hacienda Real. Keep your brain happy. Hey, Dante. Hey, B. Looking pretty smart in your undies. Thanks. I've been doing my deads. <laughs> oh, I can see that. But it's not just what's in them. It's what's on them. Oh yeah, I got on my smart-ass undies. They're not just super comfy. They've got cheeky motivations on them that keep me in the right state of mind. Oh yeah, like we could all use a little brain lift these days, am I right? They're also lovingly made from sustainable, low-impact materials. So we can love the planet and cover our asses all at the same time. Motivate your ass with smart-ass undies. Click the link in the show notes or on the Things We Love page on our website. And remember to enter the discount code CHEATINGONFEAR10 for 10% off your order. Smart ass undies. Cheeky and comfy. Hey everyone, this is Dante. And I'm Beatrice. And this is Cheating on Fear. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We had a fun one today. <laughs> yes. Today, we are speaking to Melissa Louise. Yes. Pleasure advocate, sex educator, and your favorite title. Cockologist. (laughs) I mean, if anybody should be a cockologist in this relationship, it should be you. (laughs) Well, but, you know, that is a very, very specific specialty. (laughs) So is every PhD. That is true. That's a good point. Yeah. So we talk this week about prioritizing pleasure in mm-hmm. your life and how important that is. And uh, it was such an interesting conversation. She's She has such an incredible energy. This yeah, time. she was, really does. Yeah. And I think you guys are going to hear this in a couple of minutes, but pleasure isn't just sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to that. Mm. And I think when you can change your mindset around that... Mm then life becomes a lot more enjoyable yeah 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 yeah. absolutely yeah there were some really eye-opening things in this episode that i'm really looking forward to sharing with everybody so enjoy enjoy everyone and so we would like to welcome melissa louise your pleasure advocate to the show welcome to cheating on fear yeah thank you so so much i'm actually really really excited to be here so thank you for having me (laughs) we're excited to have you here 
So tell us a little bit about you and what you do and how you got here. Mm. So the first thing that comes to mind is I had a counselor that used to call me a rebel failure. And I think that's how <laughs> I have run my whole life. <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning because also the post I wrote today, you know, today's post is around, you know, to be light or to be sexual. So when I think about where I've come from and what I do in my life, it's been a constant pushing up on that edge for me of really not being happy with what was presented to me as a woman. So I was raised in Australia, came to South America when I was 17, always said I was going to come back. And for the last, I left Australia for the last time about eight years ago with my son, who was seven. And, um, you know, just always on this journey of finding like how, how do I want to be living life in a way that brings the most amount of pleasure? Now, you know, pleasure to me is just the type of coffee I'm drinking, the clothes that I'm wearing, the fabrics I'm wearing, the bed that I'm laying in, the view that I'm looking at, the laughter that's happening. But like many of us, how we were raised, I was raised in the fact that that is vilified and that's not okay and that is frivolous. And to be delightfully happy is for others, is for people that are born into that. So as a hardworking farmer girl or family in a culture that's uh, based in Australia, in the farming community, it was all around, as a woman, you get 10% of life. And if there's enough, enough time, enough energy after farm work and after family, then you as a woman can, can be yourself and frivolously go off and find something for yourself. So my absolute push has always been this doesn't fit right. So that's kind of the basis of where all the pleasure comes from. And, um, and I knew that if I was ever to have a child, I was never going to raise him in Australia, him or her in Australia, in the schooling system, in a, in a culture that was really rapidly turning into this produce, 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 produce type culture. So that's kind of, yeah, that's where that whole rebel failure comes up. My cancer's like, oh, my God. <laughs> but um, one of the first women I ever worked with. But, yeah, my life is in this constant pursuit of, like, how do we bring pleasure into our life and resourcing of what turns us on because that is our vitality. You know, how we live life and what we draw from life is around our turn-on. If we're vital in life, the resonance of our vitality draws to us what we want. So, yeah, it's always in that, on that boundary, that balance of being vilified and frivolous of of what I want to compare to what's actually really good for health and wealth. And that's what I've learned is that pleasure is so important and absolute pinnacle to our health and well-being in our own solo lives, in relationship, in work. So you now work with people and help them help them bring more pleasure to their lives. And I think a lot of people, when they hear pleasure, they automatically think about sex. Yes, well, my label is I'm a sex coach, which I love. <laughs> I used to be a vegan chef. Now I'm a sex coach. So the label is sex coaching. This sounds more fun. No offense. But <laughs> oh, so, oh, honey. And I used to work in the gold mining industry in Australia as I was just like, I used to be so afraid of women. I was really, yeah, huge stories behind that. But I used to be afraid of men and afraid of women. And I just find working in the gold mining industry, I could put my hard hat on and my still kept boots on and go underground and just be in my own world. But um, coming into being 
a sex coach, this label, for me, sex is life, life is sex. You know, there's a really beautiful saying, you know, sex is meditation. So meditation is sex in stillness. Sex is meditation in motion. Ooh. Yeah. And I think sex, how we rock up in bed is how we rock up in life. How we do sex, I've got quotation marks in my fingers right now. <laughs> how we do sex. Air bunnies. <laughs> Air bunnies, I've got many air bunnies on. <laughs> how we do sex is how we do life, you know, how we rock up because it's all coming from the primal brain. So my work with, I do, everyone says, so who do you work with? I do everyone. I do men, women and couples. <laughs> but um, really bringing each individual and in the couple to the place where they're resourcing from pleasure and resourcing from their own pleasure before they bring it into the into the coupledom and as a solo person resourcing from pleasure for their work for their life for their health their well-being so everything comes back to a place of where we resource pleasure from sex coaching and talking about sex for me it's sex education as, as we know we're not raised with an education around sex we even know like the medical books that's you know, medical bibles whatever they call them they know the anatomy of the female <laughs> you know the discovery of this german doctor however long ago discovering g-spots and a-spots i mean however long humanity's been alive the female bodies had those areas <laughs> but then you know it was only discovered you know a little while ago but yeah so a lot of it actually also comes from education like a lot of the stuff i do with, with my clients is education and the hugest part is when people come to me, it's this sense of feeling like they're broken, there's something wrong with, with them because of the way our culture and society dictates how we need to live life and what needs to happen. And so the hugest part for me, it's the very first thing, is like you're not broken. There isn't anything wrong with you. Mm. You undiscover and unlayer. So. Yet there's something very wrong with the world that you live in that brings you up in shame. That, that's, that's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. What is wrong is the container that you're in, which is your community, your culture, your society, your work, the relating with, with what we're told, which is around control. How do you help people get out of that shame? Mm, great question. On the physical side, a lot of it's to do with exercises that we do around shaking. Your issues are in your tissues. <laughs> Who's that guy that says that the certified health nut on Instagram? I can't remember his name. So we're looking at practical practices that move stress and constructs and shame that is held in our myofascia, breath work that gets us into the primal brain. And then we do a lot of inquiry. So a lot of the communication skills that I use is going deeper and deeper and deeper into inquiry and a lot of the questioning. So once we have education and we have what we can call a 3D fact of a body and then questioning where the shame comes from and looking at how do we cross that bridge. You know, my most incredible, I've been waiting for years to be able to get into this and what I'm doing this year is the erotic blueprints. So just as much, this is also, yeah, this is also around our nervous system feeling safe. So most of the work or every part of the way working with clients is allowing them to feel safe in their nervous system. So they tritate. So, you know, going from A to B is really necessary as opposed to A to Z. Like here I am, this is where I want to be. And we do you know, the nervous system uh, settling first each way, each step of the way, I should say. But as we have love languages, the five love languages, which many people are aware of, we also have five erotic blueprints so the five different ways that humans resource their pleasure and turn on from and so this is 
sensual, energetic, sexual, kink, or a shapeshifter. And so every blueprint has their shadow, has their superpowers. And this is also the incredible bridge we get to cross, not only if we're single dating, if we're in a coupledom. You know, I've seen it for years I saw in my in my work, couples coming to me and often it'd be one person, <laughs> one person, you know, like, like begging and dragging a partner along and, and, you know, to do sex coaching or sex therapy, as some people call it, to, um, to fix a relationship, but without understanding. And I used to come across these blocks a lot. Often one would, just for an example, it's not always this, but, you know, one person really wants to do tantra going, if we do tantra, we're going to connect more. Now, straight away, someone who's really into tantric, they're an energetic. Energetically, the tantric practices and processes really allow them to resource their pleasure. But if you're, if this person who's really into tantra, wanting to do tantra, which is nothing, is amazing, but their partner is a sexual or a kink, it's not, there's nothing leaping in the nervous system of the other. So, like, they're having to go into someone else's world. It's like your love languages, Yeah. If someone's love language is gifts and the other person is touch. And so they were, you know, I had a client with me yesterday, you know, she was really like at a wit's end because her partner keeps giving her gifts and she wants to be touched. So here he is beautifully and lovingly like buying her massages, getting her this, and she's, she's feeling really unloved. <laughs> Whereas he believes he's, you know, so this is that thing of like understanding each other's language, but the same as in our sexuality, understanding where we resource from. So this is also about settling the nervous system. Where do we feel safe? What do we need? Having our needs met so we can cross the bridge to the other and be open to the other, the invitations. If a couple is mismatched, are they doomed to just <laughs> never be able to bridge that? Or can can they be well, taught or can they learn? Because sexual compatibility is, is it's huge. It's really significant. Yeah. So how do you, yeah, how do you deal with that when you notice mm. that people's when if they're that far apart yeah bridging that gap must be difficult well it's interesting that the word comes up mismatched if someone's sexual and someone's energetic that it's a mismatch where it's it's learning the bridges to cross to me that's more if you have because obviously oh my god well if my part if i'm a sexual my partner's not a sexual I'm like well they, you've got one trajectory if you both partners are sexual you're straight on at the beginning but it's kind of like my one of my teachers talks about you have a piano and you're playing chopsticks <laughs> for 10 years. Neat, neat, neat. Every time you see a piano, you sit down and play the play song. You've got this whole keyboard of, you know, to play with, and that's what our sexuality is, and that's what our eroticism is. So learning your beloved's sexual blueprint, having them learn yours, your whole your world is opening, and then you lean in. And it's also, it depends too, how have you been raised? What messages have you been given? Where do you feel safe? Often when you first do the quiz, the results will represent where you have felt safe or how you have learnt to feel safe. Not always, especially when we're looking at results come up as kink and they may never have been into kink because our culture and society shames kink as mentally unstable yet. It's mm-hmm. been proven they're the most mentally stable sector of our society (laughs) because they talk about boundaries and consent all the time (laughs) so you know it's like it's where do we feel safe or what our desires and where do our fantasies lay or where does our nervous system really resource from for our turn on and where can we explore into so I don't see it as a mismatch as oh my god the opportunity (laughs) the opportunity and then you know and which is the same as 
you know, a lot of um, a lot of weight is put onto our sexual compatibility as a po- because we also too we we are closed off and we are contained in what sex is meant to look like as opposed to if we have two people together or three people together that all of these different sexual blueprints then that capacity of expansion and excitement of where you get to learn and explore which means you've got to basically get rid of Netflix if you want to be doing lots of exploration. There's not much movie watching happening. <laughs> so That's such a great point that you make, though, when you were talking before. I, I'm really latching on to you talking about feeling safe mm-hmm. and how there are just making that connection between you can explore different things and do different things with your partner that aren't necessarily something that you would come up with yourself but once you feel safe and can and can make those bridges then you're right like that makes that makes so much sense what you're saying that when everyone feels safe and understood and accepted then you can move forward into expanding what you what turns you on and and what turns your partner on and when you feel safe with yourself and that partner then you don't even know you don't know what you don't know until you try right so so that's an amazing thing that you do for people is to expand and allow them to explore and to establish that safety first, then a lot of the limits just kind of go away because once you feel safe, then you can do what you, whatever, right. Whatever's going to go on. So, Mm. and what this requires, I love that point that you've made because what this requires is conversation, vulnerability, boundaries, consent, which are huge conversations that often don't happen once we're together. Once Mm -hmm. a couple is together, this perception, well, we've been together for a year now. I know what she likes. We've been Mm -hmm. together for a year now. I know that he, he's okay with this. Mm -hmm. We we are considerably working uh, consistently working on assumptions. So my favorite question that I give my, my clients and that I love using, and this is not just in sexuality, not just in the bedroom, is and it comes from Alison Armstrong from the Queen's Code. What do you need from me so that I can give that to you? Or what do you need from me so you can give that to me? Mm. So when we're looking at safety, and let's just, I'm just gonna make up an example. Say, you know, say someone has a fantasy around there's a foot fetish. Yeah. And let's just go crucial, heterosexual. The guy has a foot fetish and for his partner, she has never done anything like that. And he would ask her, you know, what do you need from me so you can give that to me? And this is her opportunity. It's like, she's like, I, I really want you to, to spend half an hour. Like I would feel okay. Like, especially if she's worried about her feet smelling or being dirty, you know, with us women, we, we don't have any filter for criticism. So it's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be her, you know, it might be like, would you spend half an hour to an hour giving my feet a bath, massaging me so I can just breathe into this, mm. you know, da, da, da. and once that's happened and he's, you know, what's his answer? Of course, would he be willing to do that? Of course, he's about to have a need met. It's like, of course he can give that need first. You know, in this question, what do, what do you need from me so you can give that to me? I use it with my son, you know, it's like when I need him to take overdoing something or I need him to go and get something, you know, and I mean, it's, it's really cute. You know, what do you need for me to go and get these? I need money. Okay. Awesome. Here's the money. You need money to get breakfast. Awesome. 
but it's all of those things, you know, and it also comes up, especially when we're looking at different dynamics between the masculine and the feminine, because all our brains are, it is true. We're from a different planet to each other, which is amazing. But, you know, often, you know, we might need reminders or we might need a phone call or we might need someone else to, we might need some research to be done. Like if someone's wanting to do some pretty strong kink play, you know, it could that the person who's never done anything like that, the partner that this is new to would say, I would need us to revisit this in six months. And during that six months, could you please send me all of these different articles? Can you please send me, you know, I don't know, TED Talks on it? Could you send me a documentary on what you're trying to talk about? Could you send me articles on this? Because this is really full on for me, but I'm really open. Was it Dan Savage? And this is one thing that Dan Savage talks about. He's got a great talk on Mind Valley. It's like good giving and game. No, that's what he talks about. It's like three things that heterosexuals get wrong around monogamy or something. But the baby. We talk about him a lot baby. on this show. He comes up a lot on the show. Isn't he just, he's a superstar. He is. He I is would a love superstar. to be. I, you know, when people talk about who would you have at a dinner table, Esther Perel, Alison Armstrong, Dan Savage, <laughs> like, you know, and Sarah Rose, Sarah fucking Rose. Oh, sorry. Am I allowed to swear? Oh, absolutely. Uh, to yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Oh, that. my God. There's it's a big, big caveat on this. No, you're okay. Don't worry about it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I have worked in the gold mining industry. I'm I encourage it, in actually. Australia. <laughs> oh, fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> now it's going to come out. <laughs> Oh, what was I saying? Um, uh, your dinner table. Dan Savage, three people. Oh, about oh, good yes. game. Just get Dan laying on the dinner table. No, he can sit. <laughs> <laughs> I love people laying on my dinner table. I'm um, good giving in game, you know, as we were talking about. And when, you was, when we were speaking about the nervous system is to sex in a relationship is not a freaking perk. It's not the cherry on top. Sex is your response. Good sex is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. If you want to be in a relationship build a house, have three kids, get all of the cars and the jobs. And that's all you're willing to, that's the effort. And there's not going to be intimacy as the core. You know, I always say, just put an advert in Craigslist, wanted, (laughs) other, (laughs) for house building, you know, surrogate children having, um, car purchasing, to be by my side at, you know, meetings and dinners that I need to look good and at work. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you seriously, if that's what you're able to give them, be really freaking honest at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> you know, our, when intimacy falls off, I'm not someone that's going to put any effort into that. That's your choice. But if you're going to be together as a couple, then the coming together, what has ignited your coming together? It's been turn on, enticement, flirting, sexuality, however that looks for you as a couple. It is your responsibility to find the ways and the time, like scheduling in sex, like you schedule in your freaking soccer game, you schedule in coffee with your aunt. If you're not scheduling sex with your partner, like what does your partner mean as opposed to the, <laughs> the coffee with the long gone aunt that you're like, oh, really, I have to go and do that, but you're not scheduling sex in. So this is what I love about Dan Savage's you know, comment about you have to good giving in game, to be good at sex, however that looks. Yeah, giving to your partner, willing to go within reason, willing to go to that edge of your partner to explore and game to do so. You have a hot, if you, you know, if you think of the decades that you're going to spend, if you're in a monogamous relationship with someone that you've created this life with, or even if it's, if it's three months, three years, 30 years, all of that amazing time for exploration, <laughs> which in the end is going to make you more money anyway. 
And like going to the office on Saturday mornings is going to make you less money through the push, the grind, the stress than fucking your other really well for those five mm-hmm. hours. You know, instead of being, you know, like how much it's And like, then you're happier <laughs> when you're at work. There you go. Yeah. Oh my God. I was going to say, you know, one of the hallmarks of our relationship has always been everything's on the table. Hmm. It's like, I'm not ready for this right now, but we can talk about it and maybe down the road. And there are some things that we didn't wait very long to try and, and communicate about and do. And then there were things, there are things that have taken four years to do. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. but the psychology of being in a relationship where you can always revisit things that are interesting to you or allow for change and growth and fluidity in some cases is really exciting. And we are, we are not in a traditional monogamous relationship and it looks different all the time, but I Mm -hmm. like that it looks different Mm -hmm. because, you know, because the constant is the communication and the expression Mm -hmm. of, I think I'm interested in this, or I'd like to look at this. And I think a lot of people feel that relationships like that feel very unstable and very scary. And then people don't feel safe. But when you have that ability to communicate with each other and have that policy of everything's on the table. So everything is discussable and you're allowed to say, I'm not comfortable with that right now. Mm -hmm. And the other partner Mm -hmm. respects that and says, okay, let's put it away. Let's put it aside for now. And we can talk about it another time instead of no, absolutely not. Don't ever bring that up again. That's too hurtful for me. Would I, so I, I think that that's a very different psychology. And, and we've talked about this and this happened, you know, because of COVID where we were unable to do a lot of things, but it, that wasn't even the point. It was the point that we could still talk about it. We could still, um, still want it, or... still want it, or still plan it, or still, mm-hmm. you know, and the allowance of each other to be the, you know, autonomous sexual beings, I think is a really big thing. And, and the, because I think a lot of times what stagnates pleasure and sexuality is that sense of possessiveness and ownership, where it's like, well, you're mine, you're not allowed to think like this, you're not allowed to talk about this, you're not allowed to like that. And like, how often do you come across that where there's a lot of sort of fear and possessiveness that just shuts everything down? And how do you, what do you do with that? <laughs> but I guess, I guess they're ready to open up if they're coming to you anyway, aren't they? They're ready to, to do something different. Well, at least one partner is. Well, one of them are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's really interesting when couples come, it's such a great question. And if I'm the last stop, to save their relationship, what I've learned is like, uh, uh, uh. if you guys are about to break up and you've gotten back together to give it one last try and we're going to do sex coaching and you haven't had sex for six months mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the last stop, there's a lot to, you know, not a lot. There are things in the interim. And, yes, we can work with that. And for some people, it's like we haven't had sex for six months and it's such a big desire for us. We want to untangle what's in the road. Coming up against attitudes around you shouldn't do that. This is where we get to look at the primal brain. This is what I love about this work. Your primal brain and mine, <laughs> all of our primal brains, are basically um, concerned with three things. Do I belong here? Am I safe to be here? Am I loved? So if I do this, am I loved? And if I'm loved, I'm safe, which means I belong. So when we are looking at an attitude of, so let's just look at, a partner is flirting, 
like you're watching your partner flirting with someone else. And this is something you haven't discussed, something that pushes your buttons. What's happening in the primal brain, the cortex, the 7%, 7 to 8% of the cortex, which is making all of, you know, that we think is making all of our decisions, which is overdeveloped. We're looking at that going, oh, he's just talking. He or she is just talking. They're just laughing. Our primal brain is going, oh my God, he doesn't, he or she doesn't love me. I'm not safe in this relationship, which means I don't belong, which means I'm going to get ousted out of the house. And what do we do? React, boom. Nah, 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 nah. You don't love me, did it? You know, and there's this like three minute incident <laughs> that has pushed something that happened when we we're either three year old, six, seven, like, you know, our limbic system is developed from when we're conceived to when we're seven, eight, all of the emotional context of life that we operate from is taking from there. Sleep training. I was just speaking to a client this morning around sleep training for a five-month-old baby. You somehow manipulate, how we see it in our culture now, is manipulating the parents. <laughs> Can't even talk. But it's manipulating the parents because it needs to sleep on its own, <laughs> you know. And maybe it doesn't happen at that such a young age. I don't know. I never did sleep training, so I've, I've got also warped ideas when it starts. But the concept of a child that is to be taken off the breast, sleep on its own during the night, without heartbeat, without skin touch, like that is absolute trauma, absolute trauma. The, the, and so that goes into the nervous system. And I'm not vilifying parents that need to do that at all. I'm looking at then now we have an adult, the time that the child gets dropped off to the, because our this is where we're talking it when people say, oh, I have erectile dysfunction. I said, you have societal dysfunction. You're not broken. There's nothing what a relief. wrong. <laughs> Yeah, honey, you're not broken, and sweetheart, you don't have erectile dysfunction. They're my two favorite things. They do not broken. I'm really sorry to tell you, you're really fucking normal. They're like, what? I thought I was special. No, (laughs) I mean you are special, (laughs) but you're not broken, and and this is really normal. So then we're looking at a baby that has had to go through that for whatever reason. A child that you know, a young child where why the parents are fighting, it's left alone. You know, whatever internalizes the embryonic fluid in in the mother's belly. We are not raised in community anymore. Hand up. I'm a single mama. I mean, I, my son was born in a relationship, but the re- relationship was really rocky and we got pregnant. I was leaving and then I found out I'm pregnant, which is amazing. I would, phenomenal. I've had the most amazing life. Everything's in its place, yada, yada, yada. But if we think of the question, the nervous, like if we go into our body, if we're to do a body scan, where we're holding on. Generally, we're, our pelvis is always like our perineum muscle, our anus is always like we're tight. We've got to cross the road, the traffic lights. Am I going to run across? Here comes a big bus. Oh, my God, I've got to walk into the into the boss's room. I didn't do the emails. We, we're in contraction. Mm. Where am I? You know, I hope I make the sales today. I've got to pay rent. Da, da, da. Whereas when we live in community, you have a whole community that you are a part of when going back to tribal living you are a part of so every contribution that you give to the community is also being reciprocated so your shelter is taken care of as a woman with a young baby other women will breastfeed it if needed be if you're doing something all of the men in the village is what's that um Sex at Dawn, the book, I can't remember the author's name that talk about the five cultures that is patriarchal. Chris Ryan. Awesome. The five cultures live in the concept thing your needs are looked after and contributed to through community and there's a saying that says it takes a community it takes a village like 
you know, when I was pregnant and bringing out my child, oh my God, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise an adult. It takes a village to contain a relationship. It takes a village (laughs) for us to live well. So now we all live in survival. We live in trauma. Parent one, parent two, and a household with two or three kids. It's fucking madness like that's insane if you're above looking down it's fucking insane like there's three little humans that scream and snot and vomit and and they like they push you back they're designed to push your boundaries mm-hmm. you know someone said to me the other day it's like beautifully my son's 15 we've just gone through another another level mm-hmm. <laughs> where we were considering getting separate apartments but now we're living together again <laughs> within a few hours but this level of and someone said to me it's like yeah the aside from being from the teenager's point of view as a young man and we need it now like it's a different world now but where his dna comes from of what he's going through the amount of sleep and everything to consistently and i know people are just going to go what <laughs> and i'm a i'm a solo woman in the house with this so it also doesn't really work but just having that understanding that young boys from a primal level weren't keeping house. They were going through rites of passage. I'm not saying that they're not to look after themselves, but they were going through a different, they were going through rites of passage. So just by, doesn't my son now does more dishes than he ever did last month, which is amazing. But it's from the understanding of, from the masculine's point of view, from what he's going through, where his hormones are at, and where he should be, he's meant to be out with groups of men learning to, to be able to provide for himself by, you know, seeking the animal, stalking the animal, all of that stuff. But instead he's like got to be doing dishes and that's now survival. So in understanding that it comes in, we come into an understanding, yeah, of just how we live today is actually not the designed for the human experience. It's designed for a structure to make sure we're all doing okay so we can pay tax. (laughs) (laughs) This thing that, you know, every system is designed around ownership so we can have ownership of property and tax. That's my equation. (laughs) I would like to say have lots of of sex and pleasure and pay less tax. I guess you could. (laughs) But... (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know who's going to be listening to this. But yeah. So it's just like, you know, there's a whole system that is designed so that we pay someone else for their safety. This is the other thing. When you look at a, a religious construct around their aspect, how they, where they feel fear, yeah, where the system feels fear needs to belong. If you want to be loved by me, the religious leader, you need to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Girls want to wear short skirts. Girls want to flirt. Girls want to, you know, we're wild. We're insatiable. But if you want to belong and you're you're going to make me feel safe, mothers, if you think of mothers and grandmothers and neighbours, I need to feel safe. You need to cross your legs. Mm. You want to be loved. You need to shut yourself down. Same with grades. This is the whole thing with schooling. You want to be loved? Yeah. You want to prove your love to me, study and get good grades. It's all conditional. It's all conditional. Mm-hmm. And, mm, and, conditional. and no yeah. one feels safe when they are loved conditionally. And so then yeah. pleasure, pleasure is the casualty of that, right? And, and, that's, and that's what you see. I mean, I, I was a young mom, you know, with a husband and a house and a career and all those things. And pleasure was the first thing to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's mm-hmm. the first thing to go. And when you think about... I spend a lot of time thinking about the motivational triad. 
So the person, you know, the way we're programmed, the way we've evolved is to pursue pleasure and avoid pain and do both of those with using up as little energy as possible. But yet the, in our modern society, the pleasure part is just gone. Now it's all about avoiding pain. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Avoid, it avoid, avoid. Mm-hmm. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Mm-hmm. And there's no, mm-hmm. nobody's running towards anything. Everyone's just running from pain mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. discomfort mm-hmm. and unpleasantness. And this is why I think it's so interesting when you were talking about your son doing jujitsu. I've been doing jujitsu for 10 years now. Mm. And one of the biggest life changers with that practice is being comfortable with being uncomfortable, being okay with discomfort and not running. And I think part of that, it ties into what you were talking about, about safety, where you can be a little uncomfortable if you feel safe, right? But it's just such a, I don't know how, what this modern society has done to us, where it's just eliminated pleasure from so many people's lives. It's just not a priority, or it's just the first thing to go when you're looking up, you know, with those with those two adults or however many adults in a, in a household looking after tiny little humans and... Mm-hmm. There's no pleasure mm-hmm. going on in there, right? So I, I think it's the work that you're doing is so important because pleasure is one of our core, you want to talk about primal brain. It's one of our primal main directives and we're just snuffing it out. We're just ignoring it. And so I think mm. this is such an important thing that you're doing for people is to bring that back and get people to prioritize that in their lives again, and that that's okay. It doesn't make you selfish. It doesn't make you a bad parent. It doesn't make you a bad person. And I think so many people feel that way or are made to feel that way, that prioritizing your own pleasure makes you a selfish person. What, what were you talking about? That you're vilified and, and called frivolous for prioritizing mm-hmm. pleasure. Mm-hmm. And what they don't mm-hmm. realize is how how much of a better integrated person and a happier person that makes you for all the other roles you're playing in your life and all the other people mm-hmm. that you're doing things for and and important to so mm, thank you I, yeah <laughs> i have as you can see i have all of my fingers crossed because this is like point 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 <laughs> i'm gonna come to this one <laughs> this is so i don't interrupt so i'm a better listen. Oh. Um, <laughs> So this one is around, I want to come to when we're talking about parenting and children, pleasure and violence. So years ago, I was speaking at um, the Envision Festival. And when I speak there, I do huge stuff, a huge like packed tents and stuff. And as a a mother, a single mama, raising a child and because of my work being a sex coach, how much fear comes up. (laughs) from other parents of what goes on in my house. And yet my son is the one that always tells me about all of these children that are secretly keeping porn watching from their parents and their parents have no idea what's going on. My son's doing it and I don't want to go to their house. Like I'm saying, why do you want to go and have a sleep? Is it because they keep forcing me to watch porn? But you're 10. (laughs) He's going, yeah, I don't like it. I'm like, ching, ching. (laughs) But coming out, there was one, one year, about three years ago, I was faced with this, this vilification of like, she's unsafe, she's unstable, there's no way I'm sending my kids in. I'm like, you're fucking serious. I know what your kids are doing because my son's telling me and he won't hang out with your kids because he's not ready and yet, you know, it's when we had the secrecy. But what came out of that too was like, yeah, there was, you know, I don't know what what are the kids going to see that she's watching or doing. And I was like, isn't it so interesting that, because when my son is at their houses and also his own 
his own entertainment violence. So as parents, what do we do? Kids come over, we stick a movie on for our kids. What is it? Racist, violent, bigoted, cars that go through, I'm raising a son, cars that rise into the air in flames and the bad guys, Hispanic or Negro, and then, you know, the white cop comes in, but that's okay. Yeah. We can put all of that film on whilst we have sex and we clutter the mother's mouth, you know, so we don't allow our children to hear even, and maybe not Dora the Explorer, but even cartoons. What are cartoons? I was raised on the Roadrunner. It's fucking violent. Bam, bam. Like, you know, that, that, that Roadrunner should have died in the first five minutes. Seven years later, he's still being battered and bashed, but there's no way I was raised hearing my mother having pleasure or hearing my father having pleasure. So where pleasure, you know, children pop into the earth, <laughs> boom, all of this night notion, they get carried by a stalk. So straight away images are, we don't talk of pleasure. Mummy, where do, where do babies come from? You know, and all of the words that, the words that we use around poo-poo and like we don't even, you know, feces and bodily fluids get all changed into like annoying noises. <laughs> vaginas and penises are not called vaginas and penises, but a nose is called a nose and elbow is called a no, uh, elbow, probably. <laughs> elbow is called an elbow, but a cock or a penis, a vagina or a vaginas are even, it's like the most misused word on the planet. I think it's the third or something because the vagina is actually the inside part, you know, the vulva. Um, so even anatomically, we don't speak of it properly. But for the first what, 10 years of a child's life. It's not even named properly. So the child believes it's his pee-pee because urine comes out of it. But then at some stage, he hears a different word and there's that quote, what's, like, why is it, do you know what I mean? Whereas a nose is always called a nose. So even our discomfort that we pass on to the next generation, that we don't even talk about pleasure and how, you know, like I'm having loving time with your father or with a lover, like if we're single parents, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm being touched by someone else. And I love that. I love that feeling of these strong arms around me. It's like, oh, mommy's just going on out with a friend, you know, and this, and I, (laughs) really, Sarah, awesome. Why don't you have movies? And no, it's not Sarah. You know, it's like, we just can't even say the opposite sex's name, but, and also too, like I separated from the father of my child at two and a half, And the messages I got around and things that were said to me was like, well, you don't, oh, my God, you have to be careful. Like, don't introduce your child to this man if he's not going to stick around. So someone has worth in my life if they're going to stick around for 20 years. But this person who makes me fucking laugh, he's going to take my son fishing, he doesn't have worth because it might just be one month. And so then we're also teaching children, you can only have a relationship if it's long term. But then we tell our children, make sure you have lots of relationships. But don't let your, we're not going to show them that we have lots of relationships, but we tell them to have lots of relationships while they're in their early 20s before they settle down. So it's just all of these mixed messages that we take on as a norm. So when you're walking in the streets and then when it's like, I need a pleasure break. People are like, what? You know, it's like, well, just do it. Just get that job done. Just get those, you know, just push, push, push. And we can, I would love to talk further into like, you know, how the feminine body works on cortisol and pleasure and how the masculine body works, because this is also what we have is in our patriarchal society is that we are all being forced and even men 
to be really strongly in our masculine energy always. So for the feminine, as women, we call it the feminist movement, think, fuck, I am here because of it. I've raised my child as a solo mama. I've traveled around the world and I'm a sex coach because of the feminist movement. Yet what the feminist movement asked of us was that we rise in our masculine energy, which is the secondary energy if you're in a female body, to compete, to be alongside and to produce in our secondary energy. So it doesn't actually acknowledge, celebrate and allow for the female body person to be in the world in their feminine energy if they want to compete and be accepted. So we are demanding that everyone runs on one track. The female body has, and this, you know, I learned all of this from Christian Sweeting Morelli, who, you know, I finally got the guts <laughs> to do all of this work when I first started studying with her. The female body produces one fifteenth, one thirtieth amount of testosterone than the male body. Now your drive comes from testosterone. Your ability to continually produce is from the testosterone hormone. Yeah. So once the female body has used up that one fifteenth to one thirtieth of testosterone, we automatically go into cortisol. So now the body produces cortisol to produce drive. What's at the basis of all of our disease? Stress. Mm-hmm. What produces stress? Cortisol. So then also too, we have like fucking women that are wigged out. I was watching a video the other day, Kimanami's, <laughs> what does she call it? I can't remember. But, you know, basically her message too is like the world is full of underfucked women. Road rage, underfucked woman, nagging. Her account is all about the well-fucked woman. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it is it's like, you know, when a woman is well fucked, you know, she's not nagging as much. Like she has this, I've done some courses and there's one thing, you know, it's like where she speaks about if, you know, if the man comes home and he says to his woman, you know, um, honey, you know, there's obviously something wrong. She's a bit edgy and stuff. And John Wineland brings it in a different arena, really beautiful arena, but how Kim describes it is like, so he comes home, she's all like, wah, 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 wah. And he says to her, what's wrong? And she goes, nothing. With the, you know, what is wrong? She's under fucked. So it's like picking her up, holding her against the wall so that her energy drops. Like when we're looking at the feminine masculine polarity, like we'd, we need to have our energy drop back into the feminine. And what we need is for the masculine energy to rise so that we fall into polarity. And this happens in so many different ways. You know, it can happen over five minutes. It can happen over four hours. But basically, we live in a culture where the women are, are really underfucked and where the men are also losing all of their energy. They're not empowered in their mass, in their cock energy. I'm also known as the cockologist. It's my <laughs> favourite title. By the way, we're halfway through. I am the cockologist. But <laughs> <laughs> cockology is my thing. <laughs> and how do the parents respond to that? It's like we're... We're, we're going to send our kids over to have yeah, a no play dates. The cockologist's house. <laughs> oh, yeah, no play dates. No play dates. Yeah. There was no play dates. <laughs> we had a great time, which meant there was no, like, silly arguments. There was no pornography being pushed onto me. No, my kid did have play dates, which meant he had play dates with really well-rounded kids, <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> from people. So, yeah. But this is all everyone's fear, you know, that's not a judgment on anything. But it was just this, it always intrigues me because we're getting onto this thing of vilifying pleasure. The intriguement of, and also we were living in Costa Rica for five years, so going into that culture, it's a bit different here in Mexico. I find it a lot more open and I feel it easier to manoeuvre around around my space but in Costa Rica it was a little bit dodgy you know I was the witch and meanwhile 
you know, incest and sexual abuse, horrendously high. It's horrendously high in the world at large, a lot higher than the statistics state it is. But, you know, it's, they, the statistics always say around 30, 33%, but it's up 70, 75% because most, most women nor men, the statistics for men are a lot higher than is actually allocated for because no one reports it, Right. you know. They won't come forward. And even if you do report it, if even if they do go and report it, it's actually a lot is dismissed. Mm. So one third basically reports. So we have a whole, you know, construct that is equated to one third of the population's truth as opposed to 100% of the truth. So, yeah, I was just getting back to that thing of like the vilification of mm. pleasure and sex and openness and education when what's actually happening underneath and behind doors is really horrifying. Stranger danger. Can we just talk about that for a second? I'm going to get on a little soapbox in a moment. But, <laughs> but um, you know, this whole thing around stranger danger is equates to 7% of incidents, you know, 7 to 8%, over 90% of incidents are by the norm. But we had... I mean, I know it was in Australia. I'm pretty sure it was in Canada as yeah, well, we in the United that. States, where they spent millions on campaigns mm-hmm. to divert everyone to the this thing. You know, like, it's just like everything's fine in the house. We're not going to look at our culture and society. We're not going to look how we make everyone work so hard. We're not going to look at how we've separated communities. We're going to put it onto this, you know, stranger that's going to walk past that's suddenly going to grab you. Like it's just this how the whole world is afraid of the person walking behind their back or going past the schoolyard. There's always a function to the moral panic, and it's usually distraction from what's actually happening, right? And, when, and we're seeing that now. I mean, I was one of those kids in the, in the 70s and 80s who was terrified of being snatched off the street. And I think that I think the numbers are even lower in Canada. I think it's like 1% of abductions mm. are strangers. The rest of them are, the mass majority are non-custodial parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're right, like all the, the press and the resources that were thrown at that and people were just beside themselves. Well, and the consequences that our generation, when we had kids, the childhood that our kids have is not the childhood that we had in terms of mm-hmm. freedom to roam around and explore. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was talking with my cousin who's just a few weeks younger than me and we, but we, he has a couple of kids. I've got three kids and they're all about the same age. And it's like watching our kids play together in the yard and seeing them make up games and doing all that kind of stuff and, and turning to him and being like, dude, you remember like you would have a sleepover at my house. Then we would disappear for eight or nine hours, (laughs) play in the field to go down by the lake or just do. And then like, we'd come home when the streetlights came on and our mothers would go, did you have fun? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it was great. Mm -hmm. Could you, could you imagine doing that now if your kid disappeared for eight hours? And, And the problem is, and this goes to that stranger danger is it's not, even if you're okay with it, you're worried that some neighbor is going to see your six-year-old walking alone on their way to the park and call the police. Like there's a lost child wandering around and you're going to lose custody of your kids because you're a bad parent. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. like we bubble oh wrap. God, yes. Yeah. We bubble wrap yeah. them and then mm-hmm. are surprised why mm-hmm. nobody has any resilience to any kind of stress in their life when mm-hmm. they're just used to everything being sheltered or shielded. And, and, and like mm-hmm. sanitized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But you had other cross. Yeah. The neighbor and the, 
Oh, yes, I did have a cross fingers. Okay, sorry. But I just wanted to get to saying what you were saying is like the neighbor that is able to have an opinion and call the police, but we won't have dinner with them on Sundays because we yeah. don't know them. Yeah, right. <laughs> but they'll call the police on us if they don't like the fact that our six-year-old has done grocery shopping. What were the other things? Oh, my God, because I uncrossed them. It'll come again. It'll come again. <laughs> okay, well, I've got a question. Then. Oh, you have a question. Yeah. You, you can't just you can't just drop cockologist and then not <laughs> not tell me about your qualifications or how does one become a cockologist or I'm not going back to school for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> be, so oh, honey, you could come to my school. <laughs> yes, please. How do I become a cockologist? I say who came up with the name because this is a very, very public arena. But I was cooking pancakes one time in my kitchen in Costa Rica and someone came into the house and said, you know what, I just, I think, I think you should call yourself the cockologist. And the reason being is, as I mentioned, when I was a lot younger, I was really intimidated by women. So when I started this work, yes, I was doing my own work, but I was really, com- I was raised as a boy. I was really comfortable around men. So this is also coming back to, I'm one of those statistics that didn't ever uh, talk about it until I was in my twenties around sexual abuse. So I did, I couldn't trust women because this is another thing when we look at religious in our society and the vilification of how the female body is criminalized is that when something happens to a young child, it is somehow their fault, especially in my experience with religion and, and community and stuff. If something, if a girl, no matter how young she is, but she's around 8, 9, 11, 12, something happens to her if it had something to do with her as opposed to the adult that's not responsible. So then, so for me, I didn't trust women. So when I, you know, I couldn't trust them, it's like they didn't have my back. So being raised as a tomboy, I was so comfortable with men, even though I was scared shits of them. I was so comfortable with men. So when I first got into this, it felt really into this type of work that had been knocking at the door for fucking decades. I knew how to speak to men. I knew how to really speak to them on a level of, you know, where I could really share with them. And the stuff that really worked at the beginning for me was teaching men how to move their sexual energy, teaching them how to, you know, be really comfortable in, in whatever whatever meant whatever it meant to them being a man, how to also, you know, respect and treat women. I mean, I'm coming from my culture, the Australian culture, <laughs> opening doors, carrying heavy bags, you know, not vilifying women because they ask for help, all of that stuff. And so also to having, giving birth to a boy and how the fuck do I raise a boy? How do I raise a kid? I just learnt. <laughs> <laughs> how to keep myself alive <laughs> coming out of drug addiction and alcoholism i'm now i've got it handled i'm 32 i'm gonna live <laughs> now i've got a oh my god so then you know i always birthday i'm like babe you're alive i haven't lost you I haven't been left in an airport i'm doing great this is a miracle <laughs> the miracle of life is you're alive <laughs> so then also a lot of my inquiry and my studies and like all of the research i do on my own was going in around sexual energy from the masculine, how to raise their energy. And also this concept of, for me, with my groups of friends, of female friends, the complaint of, you know, their boyfriends or men not lasting long enough or feeling like they don't even know what pleasure is about. And I'm like, well, it's a two-way street. Who is teaching the boys? Who's teaching the men? Or who's teaching the boys that there's more to sex than their ejaculation, than P and V? So I'm like, well, maybe, maybe that is 
where I could start, <laughs> learn all this stuff. And so also coming from the female point of view of how, what really works for a body to be treated, to feel safe, the questions, all of that stuff. And so I kind of fell into it. And then some, a lot of my, a lot of my earlier work for the first two years was really supporting men, how to shift their sexual energy, learning about the PNR, of no return, and how to use their liquid goals, another thing from Kimanami, how to lose, use their liquid gold that, to get up to their brain, which comes from the Taoist culture. You know, the Taoist teachings is all of the hormones, the minerals, the vitamins, the amino acids that your body produces from your kidneys and testicles is actually not always meant to shoot out and be put in the bin. Like that's one of my favorite, one of my sayings <laughs> I always say, your ejaculate's not a waste product. The semen is not a waste product. Stop fucking throwing it down the bin in a tied up condom or in a tissue. Like, my God, that would have grown a human being. So why don't you raise that up through your core? It becomes your rocket fuel. One of my a client two years ago says, oh, you have taught me to have rocket fuel. And he's built a whole new business on his rocket fuel, which means, you know, from masturbation. <laughs> he's masturbated into reality, a whole new business. <laughs> ching, ching. And, so, and also, too, I was finding maybe because men were coming to me a lot earlier on, it was always having men clients. And I loved it. I still love it. I mean, I have now an equal women and, and male clients. But um, yeah, so I just got this. Yeah, someone just said to me, <laughs> you know, you're a cockologist. All you do is talk about cock. And I was like, yeah, I'm comfortable about it. I love them. <laughs> and also, too, so my on a personal level, it's like I was really afraid of men, which is why I went and worked. I was raised on the land. I used to run stations in the outback of Australia because I couldn't be around women. I didn't trust them. I was intimidated by it and I didn't know how to be one. I knew how to be a tomboy. So even though I was frightened of men because of the abuse and all of that stuff, I knew I could, I could survive in a group of men and I could work alongside. I could, like, you know, I used to do the 30 to 35-day long stints out bush, 400 kilometres away from a town. All of my food dropped in. I used to run jewel rigs. I would, like, and I knew how to be a tomboy. I knew how to do all of that work. And I learned how to be in my masculinity and keep on proving myself because that's where I felt safe. That's was what I was able to do. To be in a city and be amongst women, just, oh, my God, I didn't know how to do all of that. I went from being really afraid of men and having to keep with them to fucking loving the shit out of you guys. You guys are glorious. And I used to think it'd be great <laughs> if I never had to see men again. It's like, oh my God, great. I don't have to deal with my stuff. So coming from absolute terror to absolute adoration is how I became a cockologist. Hmm. And now I teach men how to love and adore their cocks and name them and use them and build their businesses from them. And then if you want a relationship, we can talk about that as well. But, you know, really supporting men to have such a fucking great relationship with their own cock. Because if we look at our society, it's not. <laughs> what was that? Sorry, I just said that sounds, like, that sounds like a perfect line of work for Dante. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, that's so okay. You know, I, I just had a giggle. My, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment. What you know, Ooh. all of my adoration towards men. It's going to take about three years, I think. <laughs> I came to him and said, Melissa, just give yourself three years. But I have an artist who I absolutely adore, and he does these pop art paintings 
of men's cocks. So it's just this cock, it's this glorious, bright, technicolored cock. So before Christmas, my lovers at the time, I got photos of their cocks, which, you know, they gave up very willingly. It wasn't a hard job to ask for. <laughs> and I sent them off to the artist. So I gave my lovers these um, business cards. So the front of the business card is their glorious cock and on the back is their name and phone number. Like, <laughs> this will take out a lot of conversation. You just hand it to her or him. They get to see the product <laughs> and they get to say, yeah or no, it's absolutely awesome. Less words. Less words for the masculine is better. <laughs> Here you go, love. <laughs> Ring me if, if you're up for it. <laughs> and then that brings date prep to a whole new level because she's going to be expecting that multicolored mm. dick when, when, when things get real. You know? <laughs> Show me your true colors. That's right. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and I, I love that you can give a gift like that. That's so it's, it's lighthearted and, but thoughtful at the same time and just expresses that adoration that you were just talking about. I think a lot of times people are just way too fucking serious about shit. They just need to relax a little bit. Was there another crossed finger? Because if not, then I have, then I have something to ask. Unfortunately, I uncrossed because as you can see, which oh, the okay. listeners can't, but I talk with my hands. <laughs> you know, I build shit when I'm talking. very expressive. <laughs> it's, it's it's a good thing. I was going to ask. You know, you were talking about at the beginning of our conversation. You were talking about pleasure being the coffee that you drink and the, the watching the sun come up and the smells. And can you speak a little bit about how people can? find more pleasure, gain more pleasure in their everyday life. When I was asking you before, so many people equate pleasure with sex and there's so, and, but, but then you talked about how sex is the way we live too. The way we do sex is the way we live. Mm. And so can you speak more to that about how people can get into that place of living in pleasure that, you know, may spark their drive or, then it spills over into the sexual part of their lives. But I, I, I really love what you were talking about, about getting more pleasure into your sort of everyday life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. So this comes into our eroticism and our turn on. Pleasure in everyday life. What's another saying? Have you been should on today? So if we're looking at, oh, I should... I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't eat that. I shouldn't wear that dress. I shouldn't, I should not. I should look more respectable or I should dumb myself down. Wherever there's a should, we are pushing away pleasure. So, you know, there's a, one of my first things that I speak with clients is generally with, it's so wonderful, most of my male clients sleep naked. But <laughs> I like that about my clients. But um, a lot of women, it's like asking, what do you wear around the house? What are you wearing to bed? What do you wear out? This is a general, even in the masculine, this is a feminine part of life. What are you wearing? So most of the decisions that we make around, I need to be safe to belong so that I'm loved. So I should wear just the white T-shirt and this, and I should be in my dull, dull clothing. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to be too loud. Laughing out loud. Oh my God. It's like laughing out loud. It's, you know, when you're, it's just two people and you're at a table and, you know, the, the feminine, even in the, in the male body, you know, rises and laughs out loud. It's like, you know, everyone looks as if there's something wrong, you know. So having the ability to be in that, to be in, like for me, I don't 
like sweatpants and t-shirts and stuff is something I had to get rid of because growing up on growing up on the land, you had all of your clothes, all of your dirty clothes, your working clothes, and because I've always, you know, used to work in really intense industries like that outside, you would have one good piece of clothing. And I'm talking about clothing because it's even with food, but what opens your heart? You know, that oh my God, that beautiful dress that you save for a special occasion. And for three fucking years, you move five houses. You've never worn the damn thing. You're <laughs> waiting for the wedding to be invited to or whatever. Fuck that. I wear that shit out on a Monday morning to go and have coffee. I'll put on my heels because I feel like it. In Mexico, like I have a scooter. I knew my life would be all back on track once I got a motorbike again. Well, I call a motorbike every month. Melissa, it's a fucking scooter. Yeah. It's got a motor and two wheels and I can go really fast. So I will do, it's like, I'll be at home and it's like, I feel a bit edgy. I'll put on my skinny little jeans, a little silk top and my high heels. And I ride around the fucking sandy village in my, just, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten blocks and go back home. And I'm laughing my head off because, you know, it's like, I have to slow down for this. I go through the puddles, whatever, but that brings me pleasure. And it's just for me. Or, you know, to bed, I refuse to wear, like, it's either, it's always lace or it's satin or silk, yeah? That's the only things that I wear to bed, as opposed to the comfortable dumbing, you know, I shouldn't say dumbing, the, you know, I, I'll just wear something comfortable because that's what I should do. I'll just wear my sweatpants because that's what I should do. I will just go and have the salad, even though I'm craving, I would just love to have to always eat dessert first, you know, always eat dessert first. If once a week you fuck the salad and you're having a chocolate ganache, if that is not going to kill you, stressing about it will. The stress of eating that is producing cortisol in your body. So when, so let's, okay, let's get to a bit of scientific stuff. What is the easy, the most quickest, easiest and simplest and most effective way to shift cortisol out of the body? So if we're looking at the feminine body and the mass, this happens in the masculine body as well. Once your testosterone is used up, we're producing cortisol in the feminine body. It happens really quickly. So you've got cortisol being produced in your body. What is the quickest way to shift cortisol out of the body? It's pleasure because pleasure is dopamine and oxytocin. The premier first hormone is dopamine. The quickest way to get rid of, so you could just get up and shake, like you receive the email. Let's Chris Central look at a female body person in front of a computer. They started at eight, basically by 10 o'clock, all the testosterone is used up if they're on the go. Yeah. So they're sitting there going, they've got their list, ticking off the list. They can't get up from the, the chair until the list is done. And that's going to be seven o'clock at night. Coffee, coffee, coffee. They're in stress. So you're two hours in, 10 a.m. Get up and just shake, shake, put on some music, change your clothing, wear satin, wear silk, whatever turns you on. So you have this level of turn on or eroticism towards life that is producing dopamine. And then, that, then all of these things roll in together. So you may have chimes. This also depends what sexual blueprint you are to, to what really works in your atmosphere. You may have a feather next to the bed so that when you're waiting for something to load or you're trying to think of an email, you would like use a feather to touch your skin and really drop into that. And that can just be like 30 seconds or five minutes. Take a few breaths. Okay. Let's get back to that email. Yeah. This perception that if I don't stay working, it won't get done. But the more stress that we have, we actually get less work done because we're in our head. Da, da, da. So using pleasure in our world consistently, what are your pleasure breaks? Looking at a diary, we're going, I need to have this meeting, this meeting, this meeting, and then I'm going to go to the gym at 5 p.m. I start my day with, I want to do two lots of brick work. <laughs> I'm going to give myself a massage. I'm going to use my jade egg today, boom, 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 boom. 
So I get, I've got to do the podcast. I'm starting two new clients today. Boom, 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 boom. So it's like, here's my list of pleasure breaks. Going out, getting up and setting alarm. You know, I just needed to go and have coffee on my own this morning. <laughs> in this new city and what's and I'm going on certain streets the murals here are amazing and I just stand in front of them going oh my god the colors are so bright and da, 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 da. and then the guy goes past with the big fucking hat and then oh my god it's real <laughs> they've got huge mustaches here and I just and I put my hand on my heart and I smile at the guy and he turns around and says this is like 7 30 in the morning and he's giving all oh, my you know and off we go well you know like he's like Laughing, he's happy. I'm delightfully happy. You know that the kitschiness and everything's real. I'm, I'm in my own little movie, and so it can be lots of little things like that. And if I'm going to go out for coffee, I'm not like, oh, just put this old. Sometimes I do. I put this old thing on, and then I then I do what makes me laugh and fun. I put really gorgeous earrings on and lipstick on, even though I've got a filthy dress on, and I get a good kick and laugh out of that. As opposed to because I look at my shoulds. For everyone, it's different. I look at my shoulds. I shouldn't stand out I shouldn't laugh so loud I shouldn't eat that I shouldn't I shouldn't leave my kid in the house while I go and have coffee you know I shouldn't I should make his breakfast first I should do all of the if there's a should I get to question that and then I have my physical practices of yeah shaking and breath work when was the last time I had a massage when did I actually touch myself putting dates in for myself this is the thing you know so many people like even, you know, I used to be the same, but I have clients that come to me that are single going, you know, I want to have a partner. It's like, well, you know, how do you want to make love to a partner? How do you want to be made love to? How do you do that for yourself? So self-pleasure dates, you know, coming back to cockology and even, even with women, it's like if you're, I say this even especially when um, female clients are saying, you know, I want, I, want, I want him to spend time on my pussy and our legs. Like, how much time do you spend on your pussy? I oh, know I just use a vibrator. It's like, so you're just using a vibrator, you're giving yourself three and a half minutes, but you're wanting and desiring a lover to come into your life and spend an hour. It's like we do for ourselves what we want from another so that we have, you know, we have the experience to share. So it's the same thing with, with men masturbating. If, you, if men are just masturbating to porn and they're just doing quick, you know, just, you know, rubbing one out, oh, it's a women rubbing one out, just, you know, jerking off then how can you expect yourself as a man to then make love for a long time and be able to last as much as your lover needs you to last if you're not practicing that? So pleasure is also whatever pleasure you want to receive from someone or give to someone you do for yourself. So once a week, having a sex date with yourself, a three-hour sex date, and that may be a bath, luxurious oils. I remember one of the years and years ago I um you know, I had this young lover, Mexican, in Vancouver, <laughs> and he shared with me in our first week together his self-pleasure dates. Where, and he, would, he had a commitment that every week, at least once a week, he would, you know, when his housemates are out, he would spend an hour and he started on his big toe, then his other toe and his feet and his ankles and his legs and his knees and then he'd do his back and his head and pull his hair and he, you know, had a commitment he wouldn't touch his cock until it was like 40, 45 minutes into his practice of touching himself, breathing. The guy was 29. I'm like, <sighs> anyone who knows me, like what keeps me young as this 50-year-old woman, chocolate and young men. <laughs> me too. I am. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. I struggle to even be asked out on a date for anyone that's over than 35. It's, my, it's the little joke. So are you 20, 28 or 30? 
No, I'm 29. It's like I haven't kissed a guy over 30 for fucking five years. Fucking five years, mate. It's been fucking five years since I've, since I've snogged a man. <laughs> They're all boys and I fucking love it. I love it. <laughs> I don't know what it is with this new generation, this generation that are in their 20s and early 30s right now are doing really well <laughs> from my point of view. My point of view, from, from my <laughs> tunneled vision point of view. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that matters. In my world, yes. Yes. <laughs> so pleasure is also too, if we even looked into Chinese medicine, you know, they say eat your soup and drink your food. Mm, yes. It's even if we look at how we, everything's takeaway, everything's on the go, get your coffee on the go. I mean, for, this is one of my biggest things here in Mexico. All of these, all of these, sorry taking a breath <laughs> these beautiful people that come over from the west <laughs> come down and get the fucking takeaway coffee while they're on holiday if you do not have time to sit yeah <laughs> for 12 fucking minutes what is you have to question your life <laughs> and number one you're making rubbish on these towns that don't have rubbish systems to equate to it so if you don't have time to sit and have coffee what the fuck is wrong with our lives like seriously seriously <laughs> if you do not have 10 minutes or 15 minutes in the morning to drink your coffee and you have to drink it with earphones on, on it. I don't know if they're doing this and I'm sure they are, but, you know, everyone's jammed in on, <laughs> on trains and everything. You know, this is what, when I lived in Vancouver, it's like the amount of people that are sardined together, no one's looking at each other and everyone's huffing and puffing about their neighbour who's touching them or does something that they don't like. <laughs> so they huff and puff about it, but they're drinking their coffees with their heads down. Like there's nothing pleasurable. Everyone's in cortisol and contraction. And that's how you start your day. So how do you start your day? Your gratitude list. What are you so grateful for? Looking at, up at the tree, listening to the birds. It takes five minutes. Like this is life. Mm. There's so much pleasure in life. And hugging when your partner hugs you, staying in that. And when your partner kisses you, I have, a, I have a bit of a rule that comes from some teachers of mine. If you're going to kiss, it's got to last for at least seven seconds. <laughs> no pecks on the cheek. I also have another rule with my, with my couples. You do not text your partner, how was your day? How's it going? How was lunch? Like you have 25 people around you that ask you that question. Your partner is your lover. <laughs> you write to them, oh, my God, I still have the taste of your pussy on my tongue from three weeks ago, da, 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 or whatever it was. You know, I can still feel your cock in my mouth. <gasps> Like that message we want to be receiving as your boss is like ripping into you because <laughs> you were masturbating in the bathroom instead of sending the email. And then like, I mean, how much fun is your life if you're masturbating in the bathroom <laughs> instead of sending the email, rubbing one out? This is also around sex magic. Like orgasm and creative energy is what's going to bring you more money and create more vision in whatever you're doing than the coffee. I'm, I love coffee, so I say do coffee and Coffee and orgasm. Coffee and cock and coffee is my favorite breakfast. <laughs> I have coffee with everything. You know, it's like you know, Forget muffins. Yeah. I like dick. I like, <laughs> I, like, I like dick with my coffee. Thank you. <laughs> See, my head goes straight to muffin dough. What you could do with that dough. <laughs> it's just like seriously, I always say my brain is not fit for public consumption. <laughs> And Beatrice becomes a bigger fan of Melissa than. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, pleasure. Pleasure is going to bring you more money, you know. 
having an orgasm, two or three orgasms at work, even just, I just, I have nothing wrong with ejaculation. I have nothing wrong, you know, when I'm teaching men to move their sexual energy, you still need to have ejaculation in your life. It's glorious gifting it to your lover or yourself. And also with women rubbing one out, yes, she can spend hours self-pleasuring and edging and not reaching the peak orgasm, but having all of these other orgasmic experiences and orgasms, or you can just go and rub one out. You're sitting in the office, you're sitting in front of your computer at home nowadays, and you're just fucking frustrated. <sighs> Shake, go and have a quick orgasm, come back. Boom, there's the email that you wanted. Boom, there's another <laughs> sale. It fucking works. Clarity. It works, you know. When in doubt, rub one out. Words to live by, eh? Words to live by. I think that's a <laughs> no, great place to wrap it up. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful place to, this, this is where we end. This is where we, we come full circle. <laughs> come. When in doubt. Oh, when in <laughs> doubt. <laughs> rub one out. Rub one out. Yeah. And then send the email. Yeah. Then- <laughs> Without <laughs> yet. <laughs> Melissa, where can people get a hold of you? Mm, I am on Instagram and through Instagram, you become part of my email list. Mm. which is really important because I do get lots of threats and I have been hacked and taken down and I keep using sex magic to come back. (laughs) (laughs) So Instagram is the pleasure studio and Melissa Louise and the pleasure studio all together because there is another one with a dot in between. So it's the pleasure studio, the three words together. And yeah, we will put the link in the show notes as well so that people can find it. Yeah, Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my website is melissalouise.world. And come to Mexico. If anyone wants to come and do private retreats, I have people come down that want a holiday and they want to talk about sex a lot. Ha, ha, ha. Why do it over three months on one-on-one coaching when you can come to Mexico and have tacos and <laughs> talk about sex? Yep. You know, it's a good thing. We've been looking for something to do over Christmas. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> replace Santa with the cockologist. I think that's <laughs> I've been looking to replace Great Santa trade-off. for a while. So, yeah. So. <laughs> That's an easy sell for me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for spending time with us today. This was really amazing. I think we need happier people with more pleasure in their lives. And the Mm. permission to do that is really important. And thank you for Mm. the work that you're doing to help people do that. That's amazing. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Very fun. (laughs) I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go have some uh, some coffee and some dick right now. Perfect. Cock and coffee. Cock and coffee. Uh, <laughs> just breathe <laughs> through your nose. It's often hot. <laughs> well, it depends whether it's iced coffee or iced coffee or a latte on espresso. But you know, flip it around. Do both. Boom, boom. <laughs> okay, so that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. It was really fun. Are Are you gonna start your 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 next degree in cockology? Uh, no, I think I'm good, but I will admire from the sidelines. <laughs> I maybe it's maybe maybe it's time to plan a trip to Mexico. I mean, that was that. When was that not a plan? Oh well, I mean, we've talked about lots of. We've talked about Cuba. Yeah. We've talked about you know, yeah, like but lots I think places, I think but... I think we should end up in Mexico. I think that should be how we ring in 2022. Come for the jujitsu. Stay for the cockology. Stay- <laughs> Stay, stay for, stay for the, the sex retreat. That sounds fun. Perfect. Yeah. Game. Let's do it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. See you next time. Bye. Bye.